This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Uh, a very good welcome to the Late Late Show with me, Tracy Lees. Um, coming up this evening, I'm going to be talking to author and mentoring aficionado Hailey Hughes about the future of ITT. I'm live from Staffordshire for the next hour, and I would love to hear from you tonight. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. This show is brought to you in partnership with Jomcat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out! Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading! This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Morning Star reports on claims being made by the Union Unison that school support staff are using their own money to help pupils and families cope with crippling living costs. A survey of more than 6,000 workers, including teaching assistants, caterers, cleaners and librarians, reveals that many are helping students buy food, uniform items, shoes and stationery. The findings were published to coincide with the Union's annual celebration of school support staff, known as stars in our schools. The survey also indicates that 98% of those questioned are concerned that their own pay is not enough to cover the spiralling cost of living. One in eight workers say they have used food banks within the last year and 27% have taken second or even third jobs to help make ends meet. 50% of those polled also said they were actively seeking other jobs in order to achieve higher pay. In Scotland, the EIS union has announced 16 more strike days planned for next year as it continues to put pressure on the Scottish Government to increase pay. The action will take place over 16 consecutive days in January and February, with teachers in two local authorities walking out each day. The first day of strike action was held on Thursday the 24th of November. A further national strike day is planned for the 10th of January for primary, special and early years establishments and the 11th of January for secondary schools. Unions stated that further action was required because of a lack of willingness to negotiate by government. In related news, an estimated 70,000 university workers embarked on strike action over pay and working conditions. Those striking included researchers, academics and administrators, as well as caterers, cleaners and other support staff from Unison and Unite Unions. The university and college unions say that staff are at breaking point due to poor pay, working conditions and job insecurity. It is thought the industrial action has affected as many as 2.5 million students and is being reported as the biggest strike in UK higher education history. Further action is planned for next week. The strike action is being supported by the National Union of Students, but Robert Halfen, Minister for Skills, Apprenticeships and Higher Education in England, described the action as highly disappointing and urged all sides to work together to reach a solution. 
Staying with higher education, Universities UK has released a statement in response to speculation that the UK government may look to reduce international student numbers. It comes after Downing Street said PM Rishi Sunak is considering a variety of options to control immigration, including looking at the issues of student dependence and low quality degrees. The comments followed data indicating high net migration up to June 2022 with foreign students being one of the biggest driving forces. Vivian Stern, MBE, Chief Executive of Universities UK, said, Cutting international student numbers would run directly counter to the government's strategy to rebuild the economy. She went on to say that international students make a net positive contribution of at least £26 billion per year and sustain jobs in towns and cities around the UK. The full statement can be found on the University's UK website. Over the last few weeks, we've reported regularly on the World Skills competition, and this week the results of the UK national finals were revealed. FE Week carries full details of the story, but the results were broadcast from Channel 4's Steph's Packed Lunch studio. Steph McGovern announced over 200 bronze, silver and gold medal winners across 63 categories. In total, 217 young people were recognised, up from 186 last year. The competition highlights the vital role of colleges and organisations offering apprenticeships in growing a high-value skills economy, as well as supporting young people to achieve excellence in their chosen field. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, it's the longest, darkest term. It's cold, it's wet, you go to work in the dark, you come home in the dark. Is there any tech out there that can help us get through this term? Of course there is! Meditation is known to give you a healthy mindset, and the knock-on effect from that is better well-being. The Muse headband can help you on your mental health journey by bringing meditation into your daily routine. It monitors your brain activity during meditation sessions, which you can view using the Muse app. The headband itself uses a sensor to provide feedback on how your mind works as you meditate, ensuring you keep your mind focused and on meditation itself, not exterior problems or thoughts. After your session, the band uses the data collected on your brain activity to provide advice on how to control your breathing better and reach your calm space during sessions. Impact on the pocket is big, with this device weighing in at over 200 pounds, and I'm not sure it'll help you block out any wet break times, but it might be something to consider for when you get home. Okay, meditation may not be your bag. How about being able to get to sleep faster? And I don't mean the go to bed and be asleep before you hit the pillow. I'm talking about trying to get back to sleep when you wake up in the night and your brain starts racing. Definitely something for the more sensible budget at 30 to 40 pounds. The Dodo is a little device that claims to be able to get you to sleep in eight minutes. It uses light to encourage deep, calming sleep. With a bit of further research on a popular shopping site, I found out that over half the reviews said it worked for them, and a few reviews that were negative seemed to lack perseverance. Want a free way to just vent? Instead of inflicting your day on colleagues or loved ones, why not make a journal or blog? Keep it to yourself, or put it online for the world to see. Obviously, you may not want to identify yourself in a public forum, but having a good old rant is known to make you feel better. You never know. You may even find a solution to the problems you're having while reflecting. There are lots of free blogging tools out there, or even create a profile or group on social media. Get it off your chest. As always, I'd love to hear from you. Do you have any tech for well-being? Let us know at TTR2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. I'm just going to introduce Hailey, who I think is going to call in very, very shortly. So Hailey is a mentoring aficionado. She will be, I'm sure, uh, if you are a teacher Twitter fan like me, you will see her, you will see her posts. She, I think she's been in a Twitter route tonight, so maybe she'll talk to us about that. Um, So we're going to speak to Hailey about all things teacher training. So just for some context, just to recap what we've just said, we know that uh, ITT providers have had to um, re- have reaccreditation, um, and w- we know this is going to present challenges. We know that there are some uh, previous ITT providers who are um, 
no longer allow, going to be uh, allowed to deliver ITT as a model. So the future of ITT is very much up in the air. It's very much open for debate. And if you've got a question um, of Hailey, we would love for you to text in tonight. Hailey, are you there? Yes, can you hear me? Oh my goodness, thank you. I've never been more relieved to hear another person's voice in my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been on Teachers Talk Radio lots of times with people of varying experience of lengths of show. So don't worry, these aren't the only technical issues I've ever come across. So it's all good. Do, do I seem worried? Yes, very. I have been. Okay, I'm absolutely thrilled that you are here tonight. And you're going to share some of your wisdom around ITT with the listeners this evening. So I've already, already prefaced this by saying about, you know, the change that's happening uh, around ITT, the market review. Um, so I wonder if you could just start by telling us a little bit about your experience and a little bit about um, how you're going to frame your uh, responses tonight. So what's your experience that positions you as something of an authority around ITT and mentoring? Well, I don't know whether I'd call myself an authority, if I'm, if I'm completely honest. Um, I'm just, um, you know, uh, somebody working in teacher development trying to make a difference, like everybody. Um, so I certainly wouldn't call myself a, a, a sort of guru of, of mentoring because I've still got a lot to learn. Um, so, I mean, my background is that I was a teacher of English for 15 years. Um, I had been a middle leader, a senior leader in schools. Uh, prior to being, becoming a teacher, I was a national newspaper journalist. So I've, I've, this is sort of my third um, career change now, really. I'm starting to think that I have zero longevity at all in anything. Um, or maybe every bit of longevity. Maybe that's the key. Maybe get very bored. I don't know. Um, so, um, yeah, so I did sort of teaching for, for 15 years um, and didn't leave the profession because I was disgruntled with it in any way, actually. Um, I left because um, I was increasingly being asked to come and speak at schools. Um, and obviously, when you've got a full teaching timetable and you've got students that are relying on you to, to, to be there um, and, and to teach them, I can't just swan off and, and speak at schools here, there and everywhere. So I essentially needed to um, do something that enabled me to actually get out there and learn more and connect with, with other people. And I felt a little bit stifled, if I'm completely honest, in a school, um, which was why I left. So I wasn't kind of disgruntled and, you know, hated my job, hated kids, you know, anything like that. Like that I was desperate to get away um, so I've been in um, ITTE um, as it's sometimes referred to um, now for about 16 months um, so I'm very new still in it um, I, I have a strange position in ITTE I'm not a senior lecturer who uh, teaches PGC students I don't have any contact with trainees at all pretty much um, I'm, my job title is that I'm a principal lecturer of professional development and mentoring so essentially, I think I'm probably the only principal lecturer of mentoring um, in England. So maybe somebody will ring me in and tell me I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I think I am. Um, I'd like to see them try, frankly. You know what? I'm sure they will after the night I've had. <laughs> but yeah, um, so that's kind of my job. So in a nutshell, um, I strategically lead mentoring training and mentor development and professional development in the education faculty at the University of Sunderland. So that, that's kind of my, um, my job. Um, and I'm still obviously very new to this, I'm learning. And alongside that, I also um, have another full-time job um, as where I work as head of education at Iris Connect. So again, strategically leading their uh, professional development content um, and their sort of education strategy. So yeah, I have my hands quite full, to be honest. Yeah, and you, I feel like you've got a lot of fingers in a lot of pies. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Um, to be honest, <laughs> one of those people who never really says no to anything, and sometimes that comes and bites me in the backside, I'm not going to lie. Um, mm -hmm. I've moments like th this evening uh, where I think I kind of wish I was back in my classroom making a difference to young people. Yeah, so what has happened on Twitter tonight? Did somebody call you an expert or something? Oh, no, it's nothing in particular. It wasn't even a big deal. It's basically um, people who ask lots of questions, asking questions, and I just didn't have the patience to deal with it because I'm tired. So, so that's 
it's not not a big deal but you know i think sometimes people forget when you've got a lot of followers um or you've got like a big follower account or whatever that there are human beings behind the account yeah and you know my husband's been away for 11 days and i've been looking after two kids on my own with two full-time jobs and i'm just tired um yeah you know i just haven't got the mental capacity like many people at this time of year to answer relentless questions about things that don't matter at like eight o'clock at night when i should be spending time with my family and to be honest that's my own problem because i just need to get off twitter so i'm yeah. joking with um kate albridge earlier that i just do long for the days when i was a teacher making a difference in my class and i didn't have a twitter account and do you know what the world didn't implode um so yeah sometimes it can get quite frustrating as well well, we're really glad that you're here tonight. And I personally am a fan. I'm going to own it. I'm going to be unashamed in that. I think you already know that because um, I sent you my book with a little kind of love letter. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much. Um, for those of you just tuning in, so I've got Hailey Hughes. She's an author speaker. She's the head of education at Iris Connect. She's the author of the bestseller, Mentoring in Schools. And we're going to talk tonight about the future of ITT. We're over the technical difficulties and we are going to proceed. Uh, okay, so Hailey, I'm going to launch straight into some questions, if that's okay. Um, but just before I do, um, just so we, just so we're like talking about the same kind of framework, there's some kind of alarming data coming through about um, teachers coming into the profession. So we already know of, of the national teacher uh, crisis, but the current kind of figures that were published in September of people um, applying for um, ITT, ITE. Um, around about a third down according to an article in the guardian so that's the kind of starting point that we're we're working from this evening so with that in mind um highly from your experience why is itt so important why is it this big area of focus currently in the profession yeah i mean the sort of ITT is under a microscope at the moment um, and, and the reason being it stems from a piece of research that the Department for Education did in 2018 where they suddenly went oh my god teachers are leaving the profession in droves and we don't know why um, so they did a, a big piece of research on it and uncovered that one of the reasons that people you know one in three were leaving before they'd served five years in the classroom was that they didn't feel like they had been supported in their early career um, and not only this, they felt the, the gulf between what they were learning in um, their PGCE or SKIT or however they came into teaching and between actually being a classroom teacher. I think it's Daisy Christodoulou who calls it like the, the knowing doing gap. Um, and, you know, I, I remember reading this research. I wrote a book on it, um, Preserving Positivity. And I remember reading it and thinking, well, you know, you could have paid me millions and I would have told you this without the research. Because I think for, for years, um, you know, I think experienced teachers in particular actually forgetting even trainees and ECTs um, have, have felt like there's been a lot of, of, of issues um, with, with being a teacher, you know, down to workload, poor work-life balance, um, you know, the, the list is endless. So, you know, this, mm -hmm. this research, it wasn't groundbreaking. Um, yeah, and I think we probably anecdotally, the prof you don't, that isn't a shock, is it, when, when you hear that? No, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> open my eyes. Um, but what came from that is obviously that thing that, that was then caught onto, which was that fact that people in their early career didn't feel supported and that there was that big gulf, uh, gulf between kind of, um, you know, training and, and an actual practice. Um, mm. So what came from that then was the DfE's recruitment and retention strategy in 2019, which then birthed the early career frame, framework, the core content framework and the ITT market review as well. Um, so it's been a whole kind of few years of a raft of a very fast paced policy change. Um, in teacher development and some of it was needed and it won't make me popular for saying it um, yeah but some of it has been heavy-handed um, and you know it's left a lot of people in the sector wondering why on earth they bother if I'm completely honest <laughs> yeah I mean it's interesting that you say that the, the gulf between training and the job I mean I don't know how you came into the profession but I was a PGCE -er, um, and, and I breezed it because I'd worked full-time and it was it was a doddle. I mean, it wasn't a doddle. There were obviously quite a lot of demands, but in comparison to working in a low-paid job where I couldn't even afford to be ill, 
I, I found it manageable. But then my NQT year, I remember, was extremely, extremely difficult. And actually, probably well-being took a real kind of nosedive. Yeah, I mean, similar similar story, really. Um, I'd come from being a national newspaper journalist um, in London. Um, so my workload was ridiculous. Like, mm. I, I never had any holidays. I remember taking a Christmas Day off once and turning my phone off and, and turning my phone back on to, like, on Boxing Day to hundreds of abusive um, voicemail messages from the features editor because there'd been a tsunami in Asia and, you know, obviously news doesn't wait. So, you know, the yeah. kind of 12 weeks paid holiday a year was just bonkers um, to, to me before I came into the profession. So similar to you, was fine on my PGC. I had a small baby when, when I did it as well. Um, but then sort of NQT year, a lot of the things, and, and remember I trained sort of 16 years ago, a lot of yeah taught um on my sort of pgc were at the cutting edge of research at the time and obviously are things that may have been debunked um now possibly and i just felt the gulf between okay i've gone from being sort of this pgc student having sort of two placements and doing okay sort of babysitting others classes or whatever with them in the back of the room and now suddenly i have all of my own classes and all of the um you know accountability as an english teacher is on my shoulders yeah terrifying to be honest I, I often use the analogy of walking out onto kind of a boardwalk and seeing you know this big lake in front of you and wondering how on earth you're going to get to the other side um, and I didn't have um, a rubber ring and I, and I feel like the early career framework is trying to be that rubber ring I don't think we've 100% got it there yet and maybe we'll talk a bit more about that later yeah yeah some consistency is better than nothing in, in some respects it's so interesting that you used a water analogy because my go-to analogy for that first year for me was about treading water and I felt I found it really lonely as well and I think that is something that that the ECF has got right is connecting early career teachers with each other whether it's in the face-to-face sessions or just within your own schools and networks I think that is it that is something that 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 ECTs need and it's a delight to see because I, I should have mentioned at the beginning, but I facilitate the early career framework as well for a teaching school hub local to me. And I have like six ECT groups and two mentor groups. So I have a lot. Um, and my second year ECTs are just, it's a delight to see them all meeting each other, you know, every couple of months and being, hey, how are you getting on? Oh, how did you get on with that class? And they're such a huge support to one another because I think you're right I think teaching can be a really lonely job and I think we we that's why something like Twitter can be so seductive because it's like a giant staff room basically yeah yeah you say that but I avoid staff rooms (laughs) for for my own reason okay uh right so where we're at in terms of ITT now so um providers have had to get reaccreditation and they yeah am i right in thinking that if they're not accredited now that's it well that's a good question um and and we're lucky enough at sunderland to have been reaccredited in the first round um so i don't know what will happen but i think that some people some universities are appealing um, okay um i think um also they may be given the opportunity to team up with bigger institutions yeah say with certainty for that because you know thankfully um you know we, we uh, you got it in the first round wow i know loads of people uh, loads of providers locally really good providers locally who didn't get it till the second round so that's interesting I mean, yeah <laughs> like a bit of a lottery <laughs> to be honest yeah I, I i could i couldn't see a rhyme or reason either but you know uh i i, I wasn't kind of involved in, in any of that but it, it was certainly interesting as a as a professional mentor myself to just watch that kind of unfold. So for these ITT providers, for most of them, they are in the post-accreditation world. Let's assume we're talking about people who've got re-accredited. So what are the next steps now for those providers? Well, um, we now have to apply for the second round of of re-accreditation. So it's sort of a two-parter. So the first part was very much kind of setting out in brief what you're gonna do around sort of three or four key areas. So, so your partnerships, your mentoring, um, and then the second round is going into a lot more granular detail of the nitty gritty. Um, so I think that's sort of due in um, around February, March, I think. Um, 
so obviously that will be the, the next thing that the providers are working on well and then they're just going to keep applying for reaccreditation and then yeah that's it so then we're going to boot camp then we're going to go to the live finals <laughs> yeah i mean maybe a bush took a trial who knows um, <laughs> took a trial I would have rather have eaten kangaroo testicles I think at some point than filling a lot of the paperwork I've had to um yeah I, I think I could have given that a go actually yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so the... I mean it's just it's two 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 parts we've done the first part we're on to the second part now um and you know again I'm unsure as to what the next steps are if you don't get through this I guess that that's it game over because they're leaving it quite late now um yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's really interesting because lots of big organizations got accredited in the first round. So I'm thinking uh, organizations like Ambition Institute got accredited in the first round. Do, do you feel like there's possibly an agenda around who is going to be delivering ITT moving forwards? Do you think there's a government sense or a government momentum that it's going to be more of a business model and less academic? Um, look, I mean, I, I can't begin to imagine what, what the rationale um, is. I and mean, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. There's a very there's a lot of very angry academics out there mm. that get it. They feel like the rug has been pulled under them. You know, um, they, they feel like, um, you know, that sort of everything is against them. But look, you know, perhaps I'm naive. Um, I think there's room out there for all sorts of different providers, um, in, in my opinion. And I don't go in for conspiracy theories. I think we've all got to work together. Um, yeah, and, and competition is great because it, everyone's going to raise their game. We're going to have a better experience. There's going to be a real market for people to choose from in terms of the best option for them for ITT. So I can only look at that as, as somebody that works with lots of providers to be good for everybody. I mean, look, we're all collaborating. Um, you know, I, I run a um, Google Classroom space for those who are, um, you know, leading mentoring in at scale in, in ITT like I am and you know it's friendly we're all collaborating there's people in there from um, HE there's people in there from the National Institute of Teaching um, you know we're, we're all working together because at the end of the day what we're all in this for is to get the most effective teachers to stay in classrooms in absolutely yeah make the difference to kids so you know i don't go in for kind of you know conspiracy theories and, and prog versus trad and binary silly debates um you know we're, we're all in this to to get the best outcomes for our kids at the end of the day and if this is this is what we need to do to ensure that our trainees have got the consistency that they need to become effective teachers then you know it's been a painful process but but i understand the rationale oh I Highly, that was an expert answer in the not taking sides. But you're right because there's so many. Sides, like I always yeah, say yeah. Because there's the shades of grey. You know, teaching isn't binary. Um, yeah. All somewhere in the middle, and you know, I I am proud to to sit in the middle, to be honest, and and not go in for these kind of silly arguments. Because there's enough things to divide. There's enough things to divide people, society the world generally without us, I suppose, actively participating in that. And and you're right, like we're in it together. So if you think about, I'm thinking about where I um, am based. So I teach in Stoke-on-Trent. Well, Stoke-on-Trent's a high area of need in terms of teachers. And there's specific challenges in working in what is essentially um, an area of deprivation. I just want the the city to succeed. You know, I, 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 I'm not perhaps in a position to take over the, the country, but, you know, the city, you know, that, that is something that I can probably have a, an impact on just through, you know, good quality ITT experiences. Well, that's it. I mean, and I think it's Johnny Utley, um, the CEO of, of Teal Trust in the North East. He, he, Say, says very often you know if you're not if you don't want your neighbor in school to do well then actually you're not doing your job properly because yeah you want all of our young people in, in that area to do well and that's why you know I, I think the problem comes from the fact that you know education has been marketized with, with neoliberalism for the last 20 years and it's yeah this kind of competition culture that, that i don't think it needs to be um but perhaps i'm naive you know i've been i've been in itt um for two two and a half minutes and some people who've been working it for 20 years have forgotten more than i know um and um you know so perhaps i'm naive but i don't need to you know 
cause kind of a fuss by by intimating that there's some kind of conspiracy theory that's I mean, perhaps you're naive or perhaps you're a fundamentally decent person fighting the good fight. I'm just going to let you figure that one uh, out. So in terms of ITTs, the role of mentors is going to be key. And this is something that you've done quite a lot of research on. So what do you think the implications for mentors are in moving forwards um, in the post-accreditation world? Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's going to be serious challenges, I think, for, for mentors ahead, um, not least with, with workload. Um, so we're already seeing mentors sort of complaining um, quite quite rightly um, that their workload has kind of quadrupled. Um, a lot of our mentors are mentors in both the early career framework and to ITTE in, in the core content framework as well. And yeah. Previously... Um, I think it was a lot of people became mentors because they wanted to give something back, but a lot of their role was very much as a cheerleader, somebody to give advice. You know, it's that trust kind of relationships, those soft skills, if you like. Mm-hmm. Of they're still really important in mentoring because without those, you're not a mentor. Um, but education is very much going more along kind of a, a coaching route now. Yeah. In terms of mentoring and sort of getting from, from A to B. Um and, and I think that's a big shift change for mentors and it means that mentors have to be aware and be um, conversant with all of the evidence base that underpins the core content framework, um, which may have changed quite a lot since they, they trained. Um, you know, they may have to be aware of kind of practices, soft skills that may have been more appropriate usually with coaching or particular forms of coaching um, and might not have been part of their repertoire as a mentor. So it's a big learning curve for, for them. Um but not just that, it's the workload, it's it's absolutely huge, you know, and, and the reaccreditation is going to make the workload even bigger because mm. all mentors who mentor ITTE will be required to attend 20 hours of training a year from 2024, and that's just for being an ITTE mentor. Wow. Mentor, it'll be 24 hours. So that on top of early career framework, and you know, I speak to hundreds of mentors every single week, and a lot of them are telling me that they're not getting any time off timetable. Um, and the Department for Education is paying um, for time off timetable for ECT mentors. Um, so they should be getting um, an hour a week for first year ECTs and an hour a fortnight for second. Um, but a lot of mentors aren't getting that because the DfE are paying the money to schools retrospectively. So obviously schools have got a lot of budget constraints at the moment, a lot of cover implications. Like I, I'm not pointing the finger at schools. I completely and utterly get it. <laughs> I've been yeah. You know, I understand. Um, but on the other hand, that is that is sort of training statutory um, entitlement is for their mentors to have that time off to work with them. Um, and schools are being paid for it. Yeah, and the thing I the thing I really do like about the ECF is that the role of the mentor has been raised. And I think you make this point in your book that actually teachers want to give support. Teachers are inherently kind of uh, knowledge rich, experience rich, but actually they need the time and they need the resources um, in order to be able to impart that successfully. Yeah, I mean, it's Professor Rachel Lofthouser who often refers to mentors as kind of the Cinderella profession. Because, you know, very often for, for years and years, they were sort of in the background doing all the hard graft, kind of propping up um, teach development with little thanks, um, little prestige, little status. And the good thing about the early career framework and the core content framework is that, you know, te- um, mentors have very much been cast into the limelight. Um, their really important role has been highlighted. You know, we have an MPQ that is especially for mm. We have the Chartered College um you know, who are currently um, developing a chartered mentor status, which I've been been thrilled to be on the, the expert panel for. Um, so, you know, we, we have a real sea change and a focus shift on um, mentors and how important they are. And I think that has come from the, the ECF. Has the ECF got problems? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that any um, wide shifting huge change in policy or direction is going to have um, problems yeah I mean m- mentoring is such skilled work and I don't know until re- like recently when we've shifted to this instructional coaching model actually for some experienced staff they find that really hard 
because what they want to do is fix. And, you know, teachers are great fixers. We're very selfless. We want to, you know, we want you to get it right. Um, do you think coaching, instructional coaching, the kind of gym night model is here to stay as a, as a means to um, upskill ECTs and ITTs? Well, it's an interesting question, and, and I want to go back to the fact that you've called it gym night's model. Um, I think a lot of the instructional coaching that we're seeing going on um, isn't necessarily um, like gym night's version of instructional coaching at all. I think there's a, there's many different types of instructional coaching. Um, you know, we have kind of a more dialogic um, mm -hmm brand of instructional coaching which is more like Jim Knight's version where it's two mm -hmm. kind of teachers working together um you know with nobody kind of being the boss or you know telling somebody what their targets are or how to develop and then we have more of a directive model um sort of a see it name it do it Paul Bambrick Santoyo model um there's a lot of dichotomy between those there's a lot of quite heated debate and discussion um on, on Twitter about you know which of those has more fidelity which is more effective and and sort of my response would be to that that I think we do both of those things naturally um mm. mentor or coach there are times when we will absolutely be a sage on the sage because perhaps the ECT or trainee that we're working with um, is struggling to, to reflect and with the best will in the world, sometimes they don't know what they don't know and they will need your help as an expert colleague to, to refine what they need to work on. Um, mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you, you have to tell them, but you know, if you've been sort of having a dialogue for 10, 15 minutes and you're at a time constraint, then we can't labour the point. We, we've, we've got to get from A to B and, and look at, you know, what, what we need to do to get better. Um, and there will be times when, you know, you are um, a guide on the side and that might happen in the same meeting. It might happen in the same year. Um, you know, I think a one size fits all of kind of mentoring or coaching doesn't really work and, and doesn't exist. We've got to be responsive and adaptive. Um, and, you know, many people, you, you comment, you used Ambition Institute as a uh, example before, and many people kind of comment on their um, brand of, of sort of mentoring being quite directive. Um, mm -hmm. but actually, if you if you actually read Step Lab's responsive coaching model, it's not directive at all because it does allow for that professional, um, you know, knowledge of, of the mentor or the coach as to you know having different levels of support and you know if your if your mentee is like this and does this then do this so it is very responsive as is as is Bambrick Santoyo's model so I yeah people look at it and, and they look at what it looks like on tin and they've not actually looked at it properly um so yeah I mean it's a bit of a controversial subject at the moment I do think Perhaps this, this coaching model is here to stay for now. Um, who knows in education, you know, you're probably like me. You've seen things go around, come around, come back again um, with a different name. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so who knows in education, things can be quite faddish and short-lived. But I do think, you know, coaching as uh, Kraft, Blazar and Hogan um, uncovered, you know, coaching has a real, um, real tangible effect size in, in not only teacher development, but pupil progress. But it's, for me, coaching takes a long time to embed properly in a school. It isn't just a silver bullet that you can go, right, we're all doing coaching mm -hmm. now. Um, yeah. You know, Rachel Ball, I don't know whether any of you follow her on Twitter. She's she's brilliant. Um, but she's really um, embedded coaching at scale um, in her school in Manchester. And um, it's taken years, like literally years. Um, and she's only just getting to the point now where she's starting to, to see progress with it. So, you know. And this can be a barrier, can't it? But it's an e it's too easy, I think, in in our profession, to say, oh, it takes too long to embed, or we, we've got to be faster. Because if you get it right, it will it will pay dividends, won't it? Yeah. Well, I think this is the thing. I think education is terrible for poor implementation. You know, and obviously that's something that the um, the EF pick, picked up on, and you know, did their implementation guide, did their PD report with the different mechanisms. And, you know, it's something we do quite badly in education. And I get mm -hmm. it. Like, I understand why we do it badly. Um, and the reason why is because we, we're working in a really high-stakes environment where, like, we are really doing things for the, for the good of children and time is of the essence there. We can't mess about. But at the same time, we shouldn't be able to just do kind of knee-jerk decisions and look for silver bullets because, you know, even people like Dylan Williams say, you know... Um, 
something works somewhere but not everything will work everywhere and it, and it doesn't this show is brought to you in partnership with john cat educational a leading publisher of books directories educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the uk and beyond and if you haven't checked out their new releases don't miss out you can visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today also a message from the Witherslack group they are a leading provider of specialist education and care and they need people and teachers like you to help them achieve even more at Witherslack you'll be given all the resources and support you'll need offered a clear path to career progression and rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer Witherslack currently have some fantastic career opportunities available to apply for at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers forward slash if you've just joined us i've been talking to the mighty highly hughes about all things itt absolutely sensational cpd from a very selfish point of view um highly really is um has got some incredible knowledge on itt and mentoring she is the author of the best-selling how to mentor in schools and she has shared tons of wisdom with us tonight and even though I can't, I still can't hear you highly, I hope that you are there and you can come back uh, and talk to us in a second. You could be muted possibly from um, maybe from the news. Uh, you may need to call through again, but but I'm here whenever whenever you're you're ready to talk to us again. So we've been talking too highly about her experience with ITT. Hayley, are you I there? should be, hopefully. Can you hear me now? Yes, and I can hear you louder now than I could oh. before. So what that was, um, it's a win. So we've been talking about mentoring. We've been talking about ITT. We've been talking about um, the national teacher shortage and the kind of DFE response to that. Um, so just before we continue, I'd be interested We've talked about instructional coaching. We've talked about some of the nuanced models of instructional coaching. We've talked about how that's here in the kind of short term. But I'd just be interested, from your point of view, what is it that makes a good mentor? Oh, God, it's 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 massive. Um, so, I mean, if we start off with kind of soft skills, um, obviously, I think the active listening skills are really important. Um, I think the ability to... Um, realize that actually you're not developing carbon copies of, of yourself um, the right sort of balance between support and challenge is really important um, the ability to set really granular targets to articulate the sort of how to get from a to b or to improve as well as the the what um, the sort of ability to be able to get over the sort of curse of the expert um, where you are able to kind of step back and think about the active ingredients of a strategy and, and how somebody might go about, um, you know, improving in that particular area. I think you've got to be a facilitator um, of opportunities, of progress, of signposting to research. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's huge. It's massive. And, there's, you know, there's lots of research out there that says that the um, sort of qualities of, a, of an effective teacher are not the same as the qualities of an effective mentor. Obviously, being an effective teacher is important because a massive part of, of mentoring is modelling and being yeah. able to instruct and realise what expert practice looks like. Um, but actually, I've known loads of amazing teachers who are bloody awful mentors. Um, <laughs> And, and vice versa, loads of excellent mentors who who did struggle and have have challenges in the classroom. So, I think um, you know they are distinct entities, and there's lots of research that that backs that up as well. So, I mean, I think what makes a good mentor is a huge question. It's something you could probably talk about for the whole of the the rest of the show, really. But it's a mixture of what I would call kind of soft um, skills. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but but also that kind of knowledge of of up to date research and being able to bridge that gap between research and practice and talk about the implications of what that piece of research might look like in the context of your subject, your phase, your school, your context. Absolutely, and I don't know if you found this, but I find that actually people who are natural teachers who for whom seemingly you know classroom presence or questioning or building relationships comes to them really naturally actually find it really hard to work with ECTs and ITTs who 
you know, are working towards those things and they can sort of be like, well, you know, you've either got it or you haven't. I hear that a lot. You know, there's some things you can't give people. Well, yeah, there are, but they're not all equally valuable and equally necessary. Yeah, I mean, I think for a long time when we didn't really sort of understand cognitive science and kind of mental models and things like that. And I'm not talking about obviously like psychologists because they've understood it for, for years. I'm talking about teachers. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I'd never heard about phrases like that, um, you know, before the last few years. Um, I think when we didn't really understand that, we what we didn't understand is kind of how um, sometimes we used to send like NQTs or trainees to go and watch if they were struggling with behavior, for example, we used mm-hmm. to send them to go and like watch a deputy head who was in charge of behavior whole school who was absolutely amazing at it. Yeah. And you know, the, the gap between where I was as a trainee or an NQT and between the deputy head who I was watching, it actually just made it worse. Um, because I was looking at this person thinking, well, you know, I just can't do that. I can't develop what they've got. They've got a presence that like I, I, it's so far away from where I am in terms of my own mental model that it was impossible bridge to, to cross. And I think we know more about the way people learn now and we wouldn't do that. Yeah, and that can be disempowering, like unintentionally disempowering because you you can't get to that in in a placement, can you? That's like physically impossible. Yeah, and, and that's it. And I think we have much more of an understanding of that and also of kind of targets now as well. Like I remember being given just absolutely ridiculous targets like, you know, um, improve your questioning. Well, questioning's huge. You know, yeah. it's like having a Formula One driver to win more races. <laughs> like, you know, what 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 does that even mean? Um, so that that was a big issue, I think, for for too long, is that we had that curse of the expert where we didn't actually necessarily think about breaking that down and making it as granular as possible, so that people had that motivation to be able to see the fact that they were getting better in an incremental, small way. Absolutely. Um, and this is ve- this is very much um, where I'm at with my ITTs at the minute, actually, of trying to be, be specific about one thing that's going to make a difference because, you know, w- where we are in the trading at the minute, there's a number of things, uh, understandably, that need to be worked on. And I'm, I'm having a bit of a, a battle with some mentors who want to just fix everything. And yes. I'm trying to explain that isn't going to help in the in the long run. That isn't the kind of model that that's that's going to be you know meaningfully empowering. So thinking about mentors again, what kind of CPD is out there to upskill our mentors for this really important work? Is there anything that you particularly recommend? Well, I mean, I think I think there's two two pieces to this really. There's kind of the the research and the pedagogy that underpins the CCF and the ECF. Um, And I think those documents in themselves are actually um, CPD for for mentors because they're broken down into really easily digestible learn that and learn how to statements. Um, And, you know, they are a starter, those, you know, of course we are saying that our trainees and our ECTs and our mentors need to be critical consumers of research and that the -hmm. the approaches that are in that are not a one size fits all, but they're the best bets that we have. Um, So, you know, they they are the minimum entitlement that all trainees should be getting. So we we then build on, on that with other stuff as well that might be more adaptable to your context. So I would say those two documents are a must read because they're, they're CPD in themselves. They're a refresher of some of the theory that we might have known and have forgotten or some new theory. At the end of the um, CCF and ECF, there's also bibliographies. Um, A lot of them are open access online. You can click on some of them aren't open access um, and you do need to get behind a paywall to to get them, which is very frustrating. (laughs) But I have made a Google Drive of all of those in that, that is on my Twitter feed so people can go and have a look at them. Um, So I would say that's the first form of CPD, really. Um, And then I think there's, you know, ever since COVID, um, CPD and and, in sort of professional development in general, there's so much of it out there that it's like a flaming all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, (laughs) And, you know, sometimes that can be a problem to me because, you know, pre-gastric sleeve, I used to see all-you-can-eat buffets as a bit of a challenge to (laughs) me. 
completely honest with you. So I'm a bit like that with PD. I could sit through, you know, reams and reams and, and probably not get much from it because I've just got yeah. notes and notes, but what am I doing with it? So, you know, there's, there's um, people out there doing great things. I mean, um, Tom, Tom Rogers himself, the founder of Teacher Talk Radio, does an absolutely brilliant Teach Me, Teach Me icons. Um, they're subject specific. He does like leadership ones as well. I spoke at the English one a few months ago and it was one of the best events I've been at for ages. Um, and I think the good thing um, about those is that when you're a mentor, subject specific mentoring is massively important. Um, yeah. So I think it is important to, to you know, keep abreast of the implications of, of some of the research and evidence in your subject, because questioning might look very different in English than it might in science, for example, or might look very different in EYFS than it does in, in FE. So I think that is really important. And then there's the other piece as well. So we've done kind of the evidence and the pedagogy. There's the other piece as well, which is the teacher development piece. So I think, you know, being able to to attend CPD that is around those kind of soft skills of, of mentoring or perhaps instructional coaching, if that's the approach that people are interested in. Amazing. Um, and, and you know, for much of that CPD, it's readily available um, in, the, in the post kind of COVID world, uh, yes. as you said. So if you're hungry for it to carry on with your kind of analogy, um, it's there. I'm going to press on with the questions because I'm conscious of time. Um, and I'm going to go to a big one before I ask you to finish some sentences for me. If you had a, a kind of carte blanche on ITT and you could have unlimited resources to bring your vision to life, what would your what would your systems and structures around ITT, ITE, the ECF, what would it look like from your experience and point of view? I think it would still be this continuous kind of golden thread that the, the DFE talk about. I mean, a lot of academics kind of bulk at, at that phrase, but I, I get where it's coming from. Like I, I get the heart in it. Um, so I, I think it would still be that, that continuous golden thread. But I think what it would be is much more congruence between ITTE and the early career framework, because I think there's been, um, I suppose, this kind of, understanding that perhaps ITT were doing a great job, which in my experience is, is a load of rubbish because they were doing a fantastic job. Um, yeah. You know, that, but perhaps they weren't teaching up to date theories and, and this, that and the other. Um, and that they're going to reteach from scratch the theories in the ECF. And I think that's bringing up massive issues you know we're seeing a lot of, of ect saying i did all of this last year um you know and it's not moving my learning on at all um because it is kind of a one size fits all and if you look at kind of all the research on effective pd um you know from the ef etc and the mechanisms and and some of um you know harry fletcher wood's work the the year before you know a one size fits all model of pd isn't effective so why are we doing it again um as part of the the ecf you know it does need to be contextualized um so if i had all the money in the world i would work much more congruently i'd get a lot more people around the table in these discussions um instead of the same faces to be honest um because there's people in you know all corners of, of itt you've got a lot to offer um and this is as somebody who's who has been part of these processes. So my kind of face has been been in there really. But you know, I've got brilliant colleagues at lots of different institutions who would have really added to these discussions. Um, so I, th I think that is one thing I would do. And then more time for mentors. Um, you know, get, giving them the, that PPA. Um, more opportunities for them to possibly go on sabbaticals um i would love that and you know have them come and work in itt and teach development for a bit oh, yes. what swap them with a lecturer um because a lot of lecturers um you know a lot of universities are going down the road of asking their lecturers to to do uh, you know a couple of weeks in a school uh, to keep their hand in so it would be an ideal opportunity i think we need much more congruence between academics and teachers it shouldn't be an us versus them um and it sometimes feels like it is a bit like that on twitter which leaves me in a very bizarre position because i am a new academic i very much see myself as a pracademic mm -hmm. um still still as somebody who is kind of rooted in um you know sort of classroom practice but i'm not a teacher anymore and that's a bizarre path to to tread yeah yeah i and i can i can see that okay just before i go to the sentences to finish 
the ECF, we've, we touched on this earlier. Is this the thing that's going to bring about the change the profession needs? What, what do you think? You know, I, I, I thought perhaps when it came out, but I'm, I'm not so sure um, anymore. I'm a huge supporter of the ECF. As I say, I facilitate it. I believe in it. Um, but I do think like any whole scale kind of policy change, there are teething troubles. I think a lot of the providers and including the DFE, because I've had lots of meetings with them about the ECF. Um, I think they are listening and it will be adapted and, and responsive, um, but it does need to be, I think, a bit more bespoke to ECT's needs. But how you do that at scale, I have no idea. <laughs> well, if we, if we need some answers, I feel like uh, I feel like you're ready, ready to give them. OK, so I've got a few sentences to finish with um, that I'd like you to complete. OK, mm -hmm. so. As a profession, we need to stop being so uh, divisive, <laughs> tribalistic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you, do you want to expand on that? No. Well, I just think like you know, we we spending all of our time arguing. Well, the five percent of actual teachers who are on Twitter are spending all <laughs> of our time actually arguing about trad versus flaming progs, and you know, <laughs> all all the while we're wasting our time. Um, and yeah, it's just a bit childish, to be honest. You make a good point. You, you, you've got me. Um, and <laughs> secondly, education needs more. Uh, people like Mary Myatt. <laughs> That's a very specific response. I just love Mary. Um, and, and, and the reason why um, is, is because I aspire to be like Mary. She's eminently sensible. Um, she doesn't kind of, she, there's no arrogance with her. She's got an incredible amount to offer. She gives back so much. And she does very much tread that sensible line of I'm not getting drawn into tribalistic quarters. And there's lots of other people like Mary out there, Johnny Utley, John Thompson, Tom Sherrington. Um, you know, all of these people are very, um, you know, they're educators who are very much in the public eye. Uh, Professor Sam Twistleton is another, and they don't get involved in, in really public spats on Twitter. They have class and I aspire to be like them. Yeah. Who knew that being sensible would be such a, 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 a trait that's in demand? I mean, yeah. Really? Okay. And then the final sentence that I'd lead you, like you to finish for me this evening is we need to remind ourselves that teachers are human beings, um, you know, who have uh, their own children, who have their own issues and challenges, um, you know, who also went through the COVID-19 pandemic alongside everybody else. Um, I, you know, I, I just think um, we sometimes forget that. And because everybody has been to school, they think they're an expert on school and what teachers do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, sort of the, the press coverage of, of teachers during the pandemic and some of the comments that I see on, on certain accounts on Twitter, um, you know, I don't know how some teachers manage to keep sane, to be quite honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um Wow, I've, I feel like I've learned absolutely tons tonight from you, Hailey. So I can only thank you uh, for fitting us into what is clearly already a very saturated um, schedule that you've got. And um, if, if we're going to go there, you you admire Mary Maya. Well, I admire you, Hailey, and I oh, think that the comments <laughs> the comments that you've made tonight really really remind me what we're in it for. And I think sometimes. We, we need to come back to that core purpose that actually as a profession, we are a team, we are together and there is real strength. There is real strength in that. So it a is. huge... And we've all got something to offer, all of us. Um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, you know, be, be more highly is my... Um, is my mantra for the, for the coming week. Uh, so a massive thank you for li listening this evening. Um, hopefully you bear, you stuck with me during the technical difficulties of which we will never speak again. Um, this time next week, we've got Sarah Langdon, who's going to be delivering the uh, Late Late Show. And I will be back the following Monday for my last show before Christmas. Um, 
in which I'm going to be talking to somebody very important and I wish I could tell you more, but I haven't confirmed it with them yet. So I'm just going to be non-committal. Hailey, any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us about the future of ITT? Is it looking bright? Is it a positive picture? Can we be optimistic? I think there's lots to be optimistic about. Um, I think, you know, um, there's lots of challenges that we've got to overcome. But, you know, if those of us who are training the next generation of teachers aren't optimistic, then there's not much hope, is there? So, you know, I think we have to keep fighting the good fight for the for the good of all of our kids. Absolutely. Could not say it better myself. Okay. Thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been brilliant to share an hour with you. Uh, And thanks again to Hailey, who has shared her wisdom with us so generously. So a massive, massive thank you. I will see you in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.